The following podcast is a recording from the sermon ministry of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Our prayer is that this message will be used by God to help you in your daily walk with Him. Well, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 55 is where we are at, Isaiah 55, and we've been working through this passage of Scripture together. We started last week, and we saw in Isaiah 55 God's invitation to the world, and he says, basically, if you're alive, I want to talk to you. Isaiah 53, though, we saw probably the most beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Now, some of you have been to museums before, art museums, and you've seen some beautiful pictures that hang on the wall. Isaiah 53 is a picture in words as to the beauty of who our Savior is. Then we saw in Isaiah 54, we talked about this last week a little bit, how the Messiah would take his people, the Jews, and he would take them from a place of shame and desolation where they are the object of scorn and ridicule, even in the world today. If you see in some of the recent news, some of the comments that have been made by some famous celebrities about the Jewish people, that they are objects of ridicule and scorn and rejection And the Messiah, Isaiah 54, is going to take the Jewish people and he's going to make them prosperous and beautiful once again. And then we started Isaiah 55 last week and we saw God's invitation to an abundant life. He says, if you want to live abundantly, come to me. It's free. And now we're going to get a little bit more specific as to what is required of us to walk in this love that God has for us. Look at verse number 6. Isaiah 55 and uh, verse number 6. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. One of my favorite games growing up as a kid was hide and seek. I I loved it. We had some pretty cool places. Um, In my church growing up, there was a lot of caverns and caves and cool little places in the basement. And after church was over, my dad was a deacon. And so oftentimes they'd have a deacon's meeting because they were going through a building program. And so we'd stay late. We'd play hide and seek in the basement of the church. It was a great time. And the word seek there means to to diligently look after. So the Bible says in verse number 6, he's talking to us, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. So the question that begs to ask this morning there, if it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, where can God be found? Well, Phil read Deuteronomy chapter 4 this morning as we opened up our worship service, but it says this, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, get this, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. You say, where can God be found? Answer, God can be found if you seek him. In other words, if you're alive on planet earth this morning, God can be found, and not only can God be found, the Bible says that you should seek for God. There's the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament called the Targum, and it translates this verse interestingly. Seek the fear of the Lord while ye are alive. In other words, while you have breath in your lungs, seek God. Look for God. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse number 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. My parents used to quote that verse to me as a kid, right? But, but then it goes on and it says, For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I, I, yesterday, a couple weeks ago, I was able to do the funeral for a family that lived in Ashburn. 
And the man that passed away was 75 years old, and he was working when he was 75, three jobs. He had a PhD, actually I think he had two PhDs, a very smart man, one of the smartest people that I've ever heard of before in my entire life. And at 75 years old, he just got done riding his bike for about 10, 12 miles on the WNOD trail, and he just collapsed and died of a cardiac event. You never know when life will be over, do you? And yet, as his family was sitting there and they were talking about how wise this man was and how kind this man was, there's the casket and I'm sitting there as the pastor thinking, you know, as smart as this man was, there's no wisdom right now in his life. Why? Because all that he's done is done. There is no more work once you die. It is all over. And so Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, he says, you work hard now because there's coming a day when you'll not be able to work again. When you're dead, it's too late. And so that's why God says in verse number six that we are to seek ye the Lord while he may be found. The word call there, call upon him while he is near. The word call is oftentimes used in the Bible for the word pray. And so God says, Pray to me while I'm able to be found. You know, oftentimes people say to me, well, I just want to hear God's voice. You know what I say? If you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible. And so, so, no, 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 you don't understand. I want to hear God audibly speak to me. Then I'll say, well, read the Bible out loud. Then, then you'll hear God speak to you. I guarantee you, if you read the Bible, you will hear God speak to you. That's how we hear from God. What God wants us to do as human beings is he wants us to speak to him, to call out to him, to pray to him. And that's what this verse says in verse number six, call out to God. So it says, number one, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. When can we find God? Well, as long as we're alive, we can find him. Call upon him while he is near. So here's the question. When is God near? Well, Psalm 145, verse number 18, the psalmist answers that question. The Lord is nigh or near unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Okay, again, if you're alive and if you're breathing on planet earth, God is near to you and you should be calling unto him. I love what David said in Psalm 139. He said this, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Where can I go from you, Lord? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. This morning, you may be wondering in the depths of your soul, where has God gone? Maybe you're a Christian this morning, and you know that you're saved, you're on your way to heaven, but your heart feels cold and distant from God, and you might feel that he's far, far, far away. My friend, God is not far away. He's near to you. Call upon him. You say, well, what about the times that I thought God was near, but, but he wasn't? No, the truth of the matter is God is always near, but sometimes he seems far away because our hearts have become calloused and we, because of sin and we have trouble hearing and, and feeling that he is near. For a while, back in uh, 2017, 2018, Phil remembers this, I kind of got into the CrossFit thing for a little while. And so I was doing CrossFit three or four times a week. And one of the things they have you do in CrossFit is do pull-ups. And then you learn how to do kipping pull-ups. And so I was getting these pull-ups down really good. And after working on pull-ups and working on bars and, and, and doing all of the, the weights, I developed a callus right above, below my ring finger because several times I forgot to take my ring off when I was working out. And this callus is even there, even though I haven't done CrossFit for several years, the callus is still there. Why? Because it's rub, been rubbed multiple times and it is hard and it's probably going to be there for a long time. Beloved, 
when it comes to sin in our life, that's exactly how it is with God. We can have a great relationship with him and then Satan whispers to us and he tells us, it's okay for you to indulge in this sin. It's okay for you to look here. It's okay for you to go there. It's okay for your mind to go that direction. And if you're not careful over time, you can become callous to sin. And when you allow sin to dominate your life, you cannot hear the voice of God. That is why, my friends, Hebrews chapter 2 or chapter 3 says this. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief. Now, this is talking to Christians, right? Brethren, there could be an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. I guess what I'm trying to get from that verse and what I want us to see here from Hebrews chapter 3 is that our hearts can become callous through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's when God seems far away. That's why we need verse number 13 that says we are to exhort one another while it is day. Someone says, well, I'm a Christian and I don't need to go to church. Someone says, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go hang out with the men at men's Bible study or the ladies at ladies Bible study. I don't need the fellowship. I just need Jesus. No, you need each other. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We keep each other on the straight and narrow. Now, I want you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 55, and I want you to look at verse number 7. Very interesting verse here. It says there in verse number 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now, the word, the word wicked there is the one that's a criminal. It's one who's guilty, hostile towards God, someone that's guilty of sin. You say, who's the wicked person? Not me. Well, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, 9 says other, otherwise. It says in Jeremiah 17, 9, your heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He said, well, pastor, why are you calling me a wicked person? I'm not. The Bible is. Each and every one of us in the depths of our soul, we are wicked. We need somebody that can forgive our wickedness. That's why Isaiah 55, verse number 7 says, let the wicked, each and every one of us, forsake. The word forsake means to leave. It's like when I leave some of my kids at church every once in a while. That, that's what it means, to leave behind, right? Forsake, abandon your ways. So you have sin as a wicked person, and it says that we are to depart from that. We are to leave it behind. Now, I don't want to get too technical on you, but if you can follow along with a little bit of a Hebrew here this morning, I think it will help you understand this, okay? The verb forsake is not a command, as in, you must do something. It's in the imperfect tense. That means it's something that happens, and it happens with result into the future as well. So what that means there is that forsaking and returning in verse number 7 define what seeking and calling are about in verse number 6. In verse number 6, it says that we are to seek the Lord. What does it mean to seek the Lord? It means that we are to forsake our sins. And not only is it in the imperfect tense, which means it's something that's ongoing in the future, but it's an action that is somewhat, somehow incomplete. In other words, God does not expect us to forsake our sins once and for all and never have to forsake them ever again. We cannot, while we live in this human flesh, completely forsake our sins. We will never get to a point where we say, I've arrived, you know, crown me, here I am. No, while you have breath in your lungs, you are a sinner. You have wicked ways inside of us. 
and you will always be bothered by sin because it's something that you and I will continually have to work on. So the Bible says there that let the wicked, verse number seven, forsake his ways, continually forsake them, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts. It's very interesting here that God doesn't just talk about what we do, but he goes to what we think. You know, oftentimes if you see someone acting in a certain way, maybe they're being selfish, maybe they're yelling at someone, uh, you know, if, you, if you've ever been in customer service and someone, you pick up the phone or you're dealing with someone in the drive through window at Chick-fil-A or whatever it might be, you realize that people oftentimes if they yell at you, there's something else going on in their life. What's the root of the problem, right? And Jesus gets to the root of the problem. He says, look, I know that you're behaving badly, but the reason why you're behaving badly, Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, is this. He said, woe unto you Pharisees, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup. It's like you have your kids do the dishes and they do a great job cleaning the outside, but they don't clean the inside, right? You may clean the outside of the cup into the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excesses. He says, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse thou first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. We have a garden at our house, and the end of the season is here. Everything is pretty much dead with the frost that have come along. I think we have some carrots, Kurt, that we can still pull up, but that's about the extent of it. And, you know, as we look at our garden over the years, um, in the springtime, we always start out with such enthusiasm. I don't know if it's like, if you have a garden, you understand you know, we got the wood chips and we lay out the nice path and we plant everything in a nice neat row and we make a commitment. We're going to come out two or three times a week and we're going to weed the garden. And we're going to make sure we fertilize it rightly. We're going to make sure we pick all the bugs off and it's going to be a great year this year. It's going to be different than the previous years. But by the time May, June, July comes along, we're tired. Things are going on in life. We still haven't harvested any tomatoes yet. We just kind of forget about the garden. But you know, one thing that doesn't go away is weeds. Weeds grow and they multiply. Now, there's a couple of ways that I've dealt with weeds before. Three ways I've dealt with weeds in the garden. Two of them I wouldn't recommend. Number one, you can deal with weeds the way I did this year with a flamethrower. Uh, that's not a way I recommend doing it because the wood chips will catch on fire. I know from experience, all right? The second way you can do it is you can go get a weed whacker and you can just you know, hack off the tops of the weeds. The problem if you do that is come back in a couple of weeks and the weeds are bigger and better and stronger than they were when you hacked off the tops the first time. The third way you can deal with weeds is the most painful way, but that's just to get in there and to dig out the roots. When you dig out the roots of the weeds, you don't have the problem anymore, right? You throw them away. They are gone for good. And when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to our lives as Christians, sometimes we are more concerned about taking care of the outside of our lives that we forget that the real reason why we're struggling is because the inside, the root of the problem. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, that You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, don't commit adultery. But Jesus said unto you, That whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in her heart. Now, if a man's been cheating on his wife and he wants to repent and forsake his sin, then he ought to stop cheating on his wife and stop seeing that other woman. But Jesus says it's not just the physical act. Jesus said the root of the problem is lust, and lust is inside of the heart. Look, it's not a sin to be tempted. You and I are born to sin, and we, when we walk through the door, we wake up in the morning, we're tempted to sin. But it's what you do with that temptation is, that is the problem. 
Is it okay for you to fantasize about some other person? No. Is it okay for you to, to allow that desire for a person to, another person to stay in your heart? No. Do you give yourself permission to do things that you ought not to do? That's where it gets wrong. It's wrong. And, and Jesus says, I want you to deal with the roots. And Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 7, he, God says, I want you to forsake not only your ways, but I want you to forsake your thoughts. Remember, I told you the word forsake is in the imperfect tense, meaning it's something that we continually have to do. You may deal with one weed in the garden, but I guarantee if you come out the next day, you're going to find another weed that's popped up somewhere else. And Satan in our lives is continually sowing the seeds of weeds into your mind continually. There will always be weeds as long as you have breath in your lungs and your heart is beating. And so, my friend, what ought you to do? Number one, forsake, right? You're continually forsaking. But I want you to see secondly in verse number seven, and let him return unto the Lord. The word return there means to turn back. And that too is in the imperfect tense. Meaning, that's an action that is never complete. So God says to you and I this morning, and this is great news. He says, keep coming back. He said, well, I, I got upset at my, my sibling. I got upset at something. I had a lustful thought. I did this again, and I feel like such a loser. Look, you may have fallen, and you may have come back to the Lord a dozen times. But God says there's always room for one more time. Now, Satan's going to whisper in your ear, and he's going to tell you that you've sinned one too many times. He'll tell you that God could never forgive a person, a loser like you, because you've fallen so many times. I think the only time that you've sinned once too often is the sin that you've done for which you refuse to come back to the Lord for. So if you're listening this morning, if you're not here, for those of you who are here, listen, if you're saying to yourself, I don't think God can ever forgive me. Or if you're saying, I don't ever want to, I just don't want to come back to God. I don't want to make things right with God. Be careful. Be careful if you get to that point. Because God could say to you, I'm done, right? My hand of protection is off of you. And he's done that throughout history. You look at the children of Israel time after time again. God warned them. But God in his mercy, his mercy eventually had an expiration point. The word mercy there in verse number seven, it says, he will, I will have mercy upon him. He will abundantly pardon the word mercy there is that it's an intense form. It's, it's repeated. It's something that's never completed. The idea here is that God promises to give intense mercy over and over and over again. So God says to his people, he says, I want you to forsake continually. I want you to return to me continually. And if you do that, I will have mercy over and over and over and over again in your life. In other words, I will abundantly, God says, do that. You know what that word abundantly means? It means to multiply, like, like rabbits multiplying, right? That's the idea there. It, it means to greatly increase over and over again. God wants to forgive you, but you and I need to do our part. What is your part? Verse number six, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Forsake your sin and return to God. And if you do those things, it's up to God to forgive. God says, if you come to me and you ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are faithful, God, I'm sorry, if we confess our sins, rather, God is faithful and you can count on God to forgive you of your sins. But it also, it's interesting here, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The word just there means sin has to be paid for. So let's say that you sin. Let's say that you have a bad thought. 
and you say, okay, God, I'm sorry for that thought. What, what happened there, that, that was wrong. Please forgive me. But someone has to pay the price for that sin. And the reason why God is also just is because he does not let us off the hook without our sin being paid for. God knows that you and I could never pay the sin penalty ourselves. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for your sin. Aren't you thankful this morning that God not only is faithful to forgive, but he's also just to forgive? Because if you and I had to pay our own sin penalty, we would be in hell for the rest of our lives. One of the great evangelists of the 19th century was a man by the name of D.L. Moody. And everywhere that Mr. Moody went, he preached the word of God. And thousands upon thousands of people got saved. It was after the great civil war when there was a time of unrest in our country. And people were looking for answers. And Moody said, this is the Bible and this is Jesus. And here's the answer. And people came to faith in Christ. It was a great time of revival. Well, one time after preaching at a great, to a great crowd of folks, a pastor invited Mr. Moody to go visit one of the infamous prisons called the Tombs. And so he went to visit this place called the Tombs. And after he got done preaching to a group of the inmates, he went cell by cell down the hallway talking to each individual prisoner. And he asked them this question. He said, what brought you here? And so as he's interviewing all of these inmates, asking them that question, he got replies like, I don't deserve to be here. I was framed. I was falsely accused. I had an unfair trial. And, and Mr. Moody said there was not one inmate that would admit that he was guilty. Finally, as he got close to the end of the hallway, Moody found a man who was scrunched up in the corner of his cell. His hands were over his face, and he was just weeping. And Moody said, what's wrong, my friend? The prisoner responded, I heard the message that you preached. And he said, my sins are more than I can bear. Moody was finally relieved to find a man who would at least admit that he was guilty and he needed forgiveness. And the evangelist exclaimed, thank God for that man. Then Moody had the joy of opening up his Bible and showing him how his sins, even though they were more than he could bear, were not enough for Jesus Christ, were, were not too much for Jesus to bear. And that man got saved and he was released, not from prison, but he was released from the shackles of his sin that day. My friend, God wants to save you. He wants to release you from your sin. He wants to forgive you. Psalm 31, verse number one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Has your sins, have they been forgiven by God? Look at verse number 8. If you're here in Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Now I know marriage counselors will often quote that verse to a husband and wife who are sitting across the table from each other, right? Guys don't think the same way that girls think, vice versa. That's not what this verse is saying here, right? Just as infinitely, as different as men and women are from each other, I want you to understand that God is infinitely above his creation. His thoughts aren't like ours. What do you mean? You and I, if someone offends us and steps on our toes or hurts us, what do we do? We are very good at holding grudges, aren't we? But God doesn't act that way. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't hold a grudge against us when we sin? It says not only are his thoughts not like ours, but his ways are not like ours. We are very quick not only to hold grudges against people, but we take revenge. Beloved, don't base God's forgiveness on what you think he ought to do. You may say, well, if I were God, I would never forgive a person like me. I got good news for you today. You're not God, right? You don't have to worry about that. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, I want you to see how God described himself to Moses. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering 
and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. Yes, God will one day judge sin, but before he does that, he's overflowing with grace and mercy and patience. You know, if you want an example of what God's mercy and patience looks like, look to the Jewish people. Because in the book of Leviticus, around 1440 B.C., God told his people what they ought to do and how they ought to live. Well, if you know the story of the Jewish people, they never obeyed God. They would obey God for a little while, then they'd fall back into sin. God would bring a little bit of a judgment. But, but then they would, they would start working and doing what was right again, then they'd fall back into sin. And it was the continual sin pattern of the Jewish people for over, I guess it was till 586 B.C. when Babylon finally came in and destroyed the people because of their wickedness. God said in Leviticus in 1440 B.C., you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't obey me, I'm going to bring in someone outside who will destroy you. And then 586 B.C., destruction finally happened. I pulled up my iPhone calculator and I did a little bit of calculation. That's 880, 854 years of patience. How patient is our God? How full of long-suffering is he? He's a very merciful and patient God. He waits and he waits and he waits. Now, you this morning may have a problem with God forgiving you, but God does not have a problem forgiving you. Don't let your own stubbornness keep you from receiving God's mercy. See right there, verse number 11, follow down. It says, um, for the rain cometh down, verse 10, and the snow from heaven returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's universal truth is that if you want to hear from God, you have to open your Bible and you have to read it. He says, two parts of our relationship are found right here in Isaiah 55. Seek and call upon the Lord. That's your job. But God says, you will find me, in verse number 11, in my word. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. We have the Bible. This is God's word. This is how God speaks to us. A universal truth. God's word will change your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You say, I don't feel like I'm a Christian. I don't feel like God, I, I, God is so far from me. What do I need to do? You need to open your Bible and you need to read it. And then you need to get on your knees and you need to pray. And ask God to speak to you. And ask God to draw close to you. Confess your sins to the Lord. And when you do that, when you have a right relationship with the Lord, look at verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break, forth, uh, break before you into singing. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know, when the Messiah comes back, this is kind of a foretelling of what will happen. When the Messiah comes back, the Jews will go out of the countries that they've been living in. And the Bible says they will be led forth by the Messiah. They will come back to Israel. The word peace there in verse number 12 is a word that if you go to Israel today, you will hear people say a lot. It's the word shalom. Shalom. Why do the Jewish people say to each other peace? Why do they say shalom? Because in that greeting, there is a hope. There is a belief that one day 
there will be peace in the land of Israel. And I'm looking forward to that day when life will be totally characterized by joy and peace. The Bible says the mountains, the hills, the trees, they, they'll, they'll, they'll break out in singing. Scripture, scripture oftentimes talks about the creation itself being alive. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 19, Paul wrote, For the earnest expectation of the creature, that's the creation, waiteth wait for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that was subjected to the same in hope. But the, because the creature itself also being delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. In other words, God says the whole world is waiting for God to return. It's looking for the Messiah to come back. It can't wait until Jesus finally shows up once again. Verse number 13, we'll finish this chapter. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. If you go back to the book of Genesis chapter number 2. We find that God created a place called the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect place. It was a place where no sin was. There were no thorn bushes. Absolutely not. Eden was a perfect place. And what God says here in this text is that when the Messiah returns, there will no longer be thorn bushes, but thorn bushes will be replaced with Eden. That, that's what's going to take place. There will be a change in the, in the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. If you've ever looked and seen how high the heavens are above the earth, they're pretty high, right? Infinitely higher are the, are the heavens than the earth. And that is how it is with us in God's ways. Our ways are not the same as God's. Don't try to compute and understand God. You'll never be able to. They are light. He is light years beyond who we are. So don't worry about trying to figure out God. Just trust him. I've been doing a lot of thinking and studying, getting ready for the Christmas season. I can't wait for that here at our church. And during Christmas, we always go and we look at the birth of Christ. And this year, I want to take a look at it from a different perspective than we have in the past few years. And as I was thinking about the whole nativity, the whole advent of Christ, the first time he came, I was recently thinking about how odd it must have seemed to the angels. Put, put yourself in the angels' perspective, right? The angels, they've never really had the opportunity. They're not human beings. They don't have free will like we do. And how odd it must have seemed for the angels to watch the king of all creation being born in an animal's feeding trough because there wasn't even room for him in the end. And that was after having to take a 70-mile donkey ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And then when he was finally born, think about what the angels did. They weren't sent to proclaim the incredible birth of the Savior of the world to the kings of the world. No, they were to go out to the little hills outside of Bethlehem and find the lowly shepherds, the, the people who were nobodies in the eyes of regular people of Israel. Why? Because God's plan doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Mary and Joseph. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph there? He was sold into slavery by his brothers. And I'm sure that during Joseph's life, there was many times that he must have thought to himself, it's not fair. Remember when Potiphar's wife lied about him and he was thrown in jail for years on end? He, when he was in prison, he must have wondered, why God, this doesn't make any sense. And yet when you get to the end of the story of Joseph, you learn that God was working through his difficult circumstances. And eventually we know in Genesis chapter 45-ish 
that Joseph was elevated to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And God used Joseph to end up rescuing not only the land of Egypt, but his entire family from the destruction of the family. So he ultimately could say in Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring it to pass as it were this day to save much people alive. Now, my friend, I don't know where you're at this morning. I know some of your situations in your life, but I don't know everything that's going on in your heart. And you may have some difficult things in your life right now. Can I just from a pastor's heart encourage you today? Be careful trying to figure all of them out with your limited human understanding. There is great rest when we can get to the point in our life where we can say, you are God and you know what you're doing. Yes, we try to do everything we can, humanly speaking. But ultimately there has to come a place where our faith finds a resting place. And that's not in anything we can invent. It's not in device or creed. It's in Jesus himself. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God says, look, there will be difficulties that come your way. Don't try to figure me out. Let me work through you the process that I want you to be. And I want you to be transformed into my image, the image of his son, Jesus Christ. When you give yourself completely to God and you don't allow yourself to be shaped by the world, but you allow your mind to be renewed, you will begin to see God's will for your life is truly, as Paul wrote, good, acceptable, and perfect. But that's only when we're submitted to him. Where are you at this morning, my friend? Isaiah chapter 55, God says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Are you playing hide and seek with God? Have you not found him yet? Are you here this morning and you've never been saved? Today, call out to God and ask him to save you of your sins. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I've, I, I know I'm saved, but God is distant from me. Then call upon him, my friend, while he is near. You say, is God near? Yes, he is. As long as you have breath in your lungs, he wants to hear your cry. And so, my friend, call out to God this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for all that you've done in our lives. Specifically, Lord, it all hinges around your son, Jesus Christ, who suffered, he bled, he died, he rose again, that we might have peace in our hearts and joy in the midst of the trials of this life. Lord, I pray for the one today who is seeking you, who's far from you, who feels like you are very distant, Lord, may you remind him today that you are close. You want to hear us. You want us to pray. And so maybe today someone needs to take that first step and call out to God. It's been a long time. And they call out to you and ask you to come, come alongside of them. You promise us in your word that if we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. And so I pray today, Lord, that they would sense and know your presence. And Lord, many times that requires us to repent, forsake our sins. If there's a sin that's gripped our life that we are in the clutches of, it's holding us in shackles. Oh, Lord, would we confess that to you today? And would be, you begin that process of removing that callous from our heart and our life? That we'd be able to know the freedom that comes with walking with God and not being subject to something here on this earth, some sin that holds us down. 
And Lord, for the Christian who's struggling because of an event in their life, trying to figure out what you're doing, Lord, I pray today that we would be able to rest and get to the point where we can say, you are God and you know exactly what you're doing in my life. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke from Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you in your journey with God, please reach out to us. You can find more information on how to contact us at our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com. May God continue to bless you as you seek to walk.